And it's my job to create structures and scenarios that enable him to maximize his growth to become a child of God. Welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast, where we challenge your family to be rooted in God's Word, energized with gospel-centered purpose, and activated on mission for His kingdom. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Families Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, so glad to have you here. Here on the podcast, we do deep dives into the life-giving and challenging aspects of raising a family that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And my guest today, Don Land, is going to help us do just that. You know, from the beginning, our vision for this podcast is that we really wanted to interview regular people, just like me and you, who are right in the middle of the grind and the joys of parenting And, you know, it's great to learn from books and seminars and things like that. But I also love learning from the guy next door who maybe doesn't have a particular platform, but who has a ton of wisdom. And that's what Don is. Literally lives right across the street from us, which is awesome. He and Lindsay and their son Evan are some of those life friends, you know, for our family that you just know you're always going to be friends with them wherever life may take us. Don is one of those guys that always has something interesting to share And you'll get a great taste of that in this episode. He's an awesome friend, awesome brother in Christ, and I think you're going to be blessed to learn from his parenting wisdom. And before we jump into it, just a few quick things. First, I have to give a shout out to his wife, Lindsay. She is a life coach, and she is excellent. I actually met with Lindsay as a coach a bunch of times in part to help me get this podcast launched So I have Lindsay to thank in large part for helping me move this forward. And I don't know if I actually would have launched it without her guidance and coaching. It was fantastic. So please check out Lindsay Land Coaching at her website. It's www.movetoclarity.com. That's www.movetoclarity.com. And by the way, she's not sponsoring this episode. It didn't ask me to say it. This is just a genuine endorsement. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications for future episodes. And it would be excellent if you could also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. You can also check out our Patreon page if you'd like to support production of the podcast. All right, on to the show. My guest today is Don Land. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, Graham. Thanks for having me. Okay, so since this is my podcast, I get to introduce you and tell our listeners things about you that you wouldn't tell about yourself. So Don and I are great friends. And for the last few years, as soon as Don and his awesome family, his wife, Lindsay, and his son, Evan, moved in across the street and they obviously didn't know what they were getting into when they bought the house, you know, having us for neighbors and all that. But it has been so awesome having them as neighbors. By the way, Don, I, I don't suppose they gave you a discount to have to live across the street from us with all the noise. Yeah, they should have, but they didn't. No discount? Oh <laughs> man, you need to look into that. No, but seriously, our families are really close and it's just been it's just been great. And as you can imagine, Don and I have had many discussions over the years surrounding parenting and Don's just got so much wisdom to share and really just out of the box thinking. And I thought, man, we need to make this happen and share this with others. So here we are, really looking forward to it. So our topic today is helping your kids make their own decisions, something that I know, Don, you're passionate about. But before we get into that, why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us about your background and your family. So I've actually just retired from the Air Force just two months ago. And so I'm working with a consulting firm right now, but my background has primarily been working in the Air Force. I have 24 years as a communications officer 
in the Air Force. And you know, during that time, I just had a range of unique assignments. I was at the Pentagon during 9-11. So that was a very unique um, experience in life. Uh, shortly after that, I was deployed to Iraq in a remote location where we generated the radar picture for the northern Iraq as part of the global war on terrorism. I had an opportunity to become a uh, squadron commander for a unit that built facilities that processes top secret intelligence information. And we actually built the Air Forces, or renovated at least, the Air Forces Intelligence Operations Center. Uh, I was a deployed squadron commander for a year over in uh, Qatar where my team ran the uh, Air Operations Center network for the Air Component Commander, where all military operations that were, that were coordinated across the Middle East received their orders from. And then I was a uh, deputy group commander for the 690th Cyber Operations Group, where we ran the world's second largest network, or at least at the time, with single integrated network. And so that was a challenge, as you can imagine. Uh, but you, know, you look at those kinds of things, but through all of that, when I think about the most rewarding time that I've had in the military, it's the times when I was assigned for seven years, two different ROTC units. For those who don't know what ROTC means, it's the Reserve Officer Training Corps, where about 75% of Air Force officers come from. It's ROTC. And in that uh, role, we recruited and developed the next generation of Air Force officers and leaders. I was assigned at North Carolina State University as a captain. And the final assignment I applied for and was accepted to was to be the commander of the ROTC unit at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Um, in both of these assignments, I just had the deepest sense of satisfaction working with these young men and women who learned and wanted to grow and uh, just go through self-development, increase their self-awareness through trial and critique to receive mentorship for themselves and to mentor others in their charge, to just really infuse in them that they weren't paid to be the smartest person in the room, but to support and lead a team so that the best solutions could come forth from all the smart people in the room. But all of that is to say, I really enjoyed come along, coming alongside someone and helping them reach their fullest potential. And so I think that's what kind of circles us back to this discussion is what greater opportunity can you have than to come alongside your child and help them realize unique and amazing gift that they, that they are to the world, the creation of God, uh, God's creation. And so that is where it all comes down to. So that's my background. But as you can tell from uh, my language here, I just really enjoy coming alongside people to help them grow and develop. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. And you've got such a great perspective working with so many young people. And I imagine that informs your parenting tremendously because you can see sort of down the road a few years and then, you know, look back at your at your own son and just learn ways to parent him, which is awesome. So I want to get into all of that, you know, Don, I've just, I've learned so much from you in so many areas of life, specifically technology, man, I wish we could have a whole episode on technology, but <laughs> beyond the scope <laughs> of this podcast. Yeah. So before we get into the sort of the meat of our episode today, you know, just talking about how to help our kids make their own decisions, which is, uh, I'm so interested to share your perspective on that. Um, but I wonder if you could give our listeners a high level view of your and Lindsay's parenting philosophy you know, just as you think strategically about the kind of family you want to be, what does that look like for the land family? That's a great question. And I think, you know, I think there's a couple of elements in there. It's, it's true that Lindsay and I pair with one another in raising Evan. But I do want to make sure I'm very clear that we have a healthy tension. Uh, and that's a good word for disagree plenty on topics on how, on how we move forward. And it's because Lindsay is her unique self and I'm my unique self and we recognize that Evan is his unique self. And so I think what we do is we, we partner and we come together and we, sometimes we tag team 
and optimization and even tag team and frustration. We don't have it figured out. And I, and I just want anybody who's listening to this podcast, I just encourage like, I don't have it figured out. I don't think anybody has it figured out, but man, there's so much wisdom that we can get. And that's why I'm such a fan of what you're doing here, Graham, is that we can hear others and gain perspective. But anyway, uh, so I think we don't approach life with just one tool and one bag. We bring both of our experiences and talents. And so that way, Evan gets the best of, of both of our approaches. I think one of the central components of parenting is viewing Evan through the lens of being a future adult. Mm. I, th- I think that's just you know critical. We want someone who is self-aware, self-possessed, uh, loved by his family and heavenly father in such a way that uh, it provides a foundation for him to be confident and, and competent in his specific God-given talents. And that encourages and enables exploration that is both appropriately cautious and yet brave. Um, and like, it's, it's all that tension in there. And, and even my son, when he says, daddy, I'm scared. And, I, and then I just, I come right off the bat and I, I, can you be brave if you're not scared? And he'll say, no, daddy, you can't be brave if you're not scared. Great. And so I, I try to uh, anticipate the, the narrative ghosts that I've experienced and that I see other developing uh, youths ex- experience. Uh, like in, in the ROTC program, I try to anticipate those narratives that are negative and try to give him structure and to see that structure in small increments early on. And so later on, when he's, when he's you know, 65 years old and trying to navigate a difficult situation that he can feel scared and go, man, I'm scared and go, okay, this is the time to be brave. <laughs> yeah. Brave is not. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I tell him, you know, brave is not, you know, <laughs> foolhardy. <laughs> brave is not busting in the door. Brave is uh, seeking counsel. Brave is uh, doing the math and uh, having a little bit of calculated courage and getting out there and, and just trying to figure out what's an appropriate way to move forward here. What am I willing to risk? Mm. Anyway, so all of that just shows up in little things uh, throughout Lindsay and I raising Evan. Um, and, I, and I just want to also emphasize for any listeners out there, we have one child, and so that gives us a lot of uh, ability to focus on one child. And so if, it, if anything feels overwhelming listening to Graham's podcast, uh, we can't do it all right. But, man, we can listen and find a way that we can dial in on something and just you know, implement something. And so I, I'll share that one of the things that Lindsay did early on uh, would have never occurred to me. Evan was an infant, and I found myself as a 40-something-year-old man talking baby talk to my son and Lindsay's like, don't talk to him like he's a baby. Just talk to him like he's a human being. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I can do that. And so I remember changing his diaper and you know how kids get fidgety when you, you change their diaper. And I just looked down at him on the changing table. I was like, all right, buddy, we're gonna change your diaper real quick. Uh, so I just gotta unbutton your thing and your legs are gonna get a little tangled, but we'll sit through it. And then, and then I got his legs through like the little ones that he was wearing. And I said, like, okay, I'm getting ready to take off your diaper. I know it's a little cold and you probably don't like that but we're just going to go through this. And I took off his diaper and I remember him just looking over and locking eyes on me. And like, I don't know how much he understood, but he, I feel like he was like appreciative. Like, okay, man, you're having a conversation with me. You're not mm. handling me, mm. right? You're having, so that created like this awareness of like, what's going on and an engagement that I would look mm-hmm. him in the eye and tell him, hey, this is what we're doing. And I felt like he would try to engage me back. Yeah. And I feel like his vocabulary came on board early on uh, because he knew that we were looking to him and, and speaking to him and we were listening to him right. uh, to try to, to navigate what's next together. 
And then we learned about, and then he learned about communication and communication both in thoughts and feelings. We, we went through that. So I think that was one of the first things that I, I think I remember earliest was Lindsay saying, just talk to him like he's a person. And I was like, mm, that, that's a good one. And then I think the next step, you know, kind of came in to one, one of the ways that I kind of leaned in was giving him advice and minimizing how often I'm directive. Uh, instead of saying, don't do that, I would often say, uh, be careful. <laughs> and I think even early on as an infant, he learned, uh, I think, that when daddy says, be careful, there's a good chance you're going you're gonna to bonk your head or, or hurt yourself. Um, but if there was an opportunity to just be careful and learn, that he would be given that opportunity. And then if daddy scooped in and, and grabbed him up or something like that, that usually meant like there was going to be a potential for damage, mm. like, like some significant damage. Right. And so um, even coming off the bed as an infant, he was barely crawling. And instead of telling him, don't go towards the edge of the bed, I took a lot of time to teach him how to slide off the bed backwards. And he fell on his bottom a couple of times, but then he was like, okay, I can get off the bed. And I was like, you can get off the bed. And it wasn't about, but then we'd be wrestling. And if he rolled near the edge of the bed, I'd say, hey, be careful. And he'd open up his eyes and look around and he would realize, hey, I'm close to the edge of the bed. And I was like, you fall off if you're not careful. And so I think that has been two of the components that has been early on is engagement and communication. And then for me is minimizing how much I'm directed and trying yeah. to maximize the opportunity so I can just give them advice. Yeah, that's great. On your earlier comment about disagreement, that reminded me of a quote from Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife. And she said, if both of you agree on everything, then one of you is unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that was pretty good. But yeah. And then, you know, another thing that came to mind is, as you were talking, um, a dear sister of, of ours, for me and Katie, she used to be a mentor of ours. She's gone to be with the Lord now, but her name is Ruth Samuelson. And she had a very similar thought to what you mentioned about, you know, speaking to Evan, just like a normal person. I remember she, her talking about one of her daughters and she was saying things to her and another adult would have said, I mean, she was like a toddler, you know, and, and there was another adult there that was like, she has no idea what you're saying. And then Ruth said this, which I thought was so good. She goes, yeah, she, you're right. She doesn't, but she's going to understand me before I know she understands me. So at, at what, you know, what is the point at which your kids will know what you're saying? Well, I mean, sometimes that's kind of hard to guess. So she just said, you know what, I'm just going to keep saying it while they're young before she even understand it, understands it. And then at some point, you know, she will. And so I just thought that was really good wisdom, you know, and it shows, it shows respect. And I think that's one of the things you were getting at there is you're talking to your kid as a normal person. And, you know, a lot of times we think of parents as parents, we think our kids need to respect us, which they totally do. And there's a healthy respect for authority. Mm -hmm. But this is something that Katie taught me also is that we have to respect our kids. There needs to be mutual respect. That doesn't mean our roles are interchangeable at all, but it does mean, you know, respect all around. So anyway, that's, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you, you shared that. Well, I wanted to dive in a little bit more, Don, on this idea and you touched on it and it's, it's so, I think it's really profound. And I wanted you to talk about why you view it that way. And that's this whole idea of helping kids make decisions for themselves. I love your philosophy of kind of like, you know, guiding Evan and not telling him what to do. But I wonder if you could share, if you could, you know, play armchair psychologist a little bit, what is it about that approach that you're so drawn to? Like, why do you believe in that so much? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting. One of the things that I, as I was a ROTC instructor or a um, developer of future Air Force officers, one of the things I told them to never, ever, ever say to your troops, don't ever say something like, don't ever let me catch you doing that again. Because they will do that. They will ensure that you never, ever catch them <laughs> doing that again. And, and, and there's this realization like, and I, that you can't, the majority of Evan's life and the time he's making decisions, I will not be around. And whether that's because I've you know, passed away and he's older or he's at school with more contact time, then he's at home. And so just realizing and or thinking through the way that we're going to develop and grow Evan through that lens, it's so important that we seek opportunities to let Evan have autonomy and make decisions and then, and then not to ever belittle a decision that he made that, that resulted in a, in a consequence. Because if you belittle, like if, if you say, hey, this is, here's what you got. Uh, here's some advice that I have for you. Uh, but but you, you make your own choice and it's totally okay. If he makes a choice that's different than what I did and, and w when it goes wrong, then I belittle him. See, I told you, you were wrong. Then any, any time that I give him advice and he doesn't do it, and it, and it doesn't have a negative consequence, then equally, he's going to reflect that attitude. See, I was right. And it becomes a competition then. And I don't want a competition. I, I, I love to go, wow, Evan, I, I totally wouldn't have done it that way. You did. And that was amazing. I'm so excited that that turned out for you that way. And, and, and so to set up a non-adversarial relationship with your child, um, I heard one time, uh, I can't remember where, but somebody said, there are many adults in the world who are living out their lives in a way to either prove their parents wrong or prove their parents right. And, and I, was, I was just struck by that. And so if, if my son is going to prove me right, I want him to prove me right that, Evan, you are intelligent, competent, capable. Uh, you're going to make mistakes. You have, a, you have and can develop a, a good and godly heart and a godly and, 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 and have wisdom in life. And so I think that just all goes to, um, again, it, we have to realize that we're not going to be around for the majority of our child's experience. And so we have to give them space to make choices and mistakes and find wisdom. And whenever I say the word wisdom, I automatically associate that with God. Anytime we come across somebody who is wise, either they're in touch with God early on or they've got lots of mistakes that God let them make that garnered wisdom. And so it's, it's all, it's all about, it's all about that, that wisdom. I, I don't know. If, and I guess going through, you, you asked me to kind of have a little bit of a deeper dive here. And so uh, I, I guess the deeper dive would be reflecting that God enables our growth through love and experience. And we can do the same for our children. And so on the love side, I, I think it's super important to have the foundation. I say to my son all the time, like you never say it enough. I love you. And I like you. And those are different things. I, I love yes. you and I like you. But I say to him, I love you and I like you. And there's nothing you can ever do to have me love you less. That's, that's a foundational thing in our family. And, uh, in, in there, and we have to reinforce that because sometimes Evan might have an experience in life that he feels ashamed. And I remember specifically, he didn't want to tell me about one of the things. And it was something was bothering him. 
And I said, you don't have to tell me. I was like, but I just know right now that there's nothing you could ever do that would make me love you less. And, I was, and then the second foundational component that I have in there is all of my love that you sense, Evan, is just a reflection of, of God's love uh, just coming, coming through me. And uh, if you think that you feel loved by me, you cannot imagine the love that God has for you. And the interesting thing is, Evan, is there might be something that you might not want to share with me. But God knows everything. God sees everything. God knows your inner thoughts and, your, and what you struggle with. And he still loves you more than I ever can. And you can talk with your mom and dad. You can talk with uh, uh, an array of people who, are, who love you. And you can talk to God. You can always talk to God. And so I, that's, that's the foundation. And so I, I guess I, I, I wanted to say that before I talked about anything else. But that, that's the foundation. And then I guess the secondary component is that we, we allow, uh, so when the, we allow Evan to get bumps and bruises uh, early on uh, to reduce the chances of having real damage in the future. Like sometimes scars uh, early on can, can prevent, you know, breakage later on in life. And so we seek opportunities to, to grow him with counsel and, and have him develop wisdom. Uh, we try to foster healthy choice. Uh, we see raising our child, at least I see myself raising Evan as a game. It's a game where I have limited opportunities to help him grow as a man of God. And so I, I, just, I just look to, to maximize his, his learning as we kind of go along. Yep. Oh, that's great. We take this idea of, you know, helping your kids make their own decisions. You know, clearly when they're really small, there are certain things that we just say, you know what, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a decision on this. This is how it's going to be, you know, and that changes over time. And I, I just wonder if you and Lindsay have thought about that, you know, as Evan grows up, how do you know that, you know, your kid is ready to make a decision that in the past you would have made for them? Or just like, what's your framework for, for uh, loosening the leash, so to speak? Yeah. I think uh, I, I think some of that is to look at look for every opportunity as early on as possible to infuse choice. That's my personal opinion. Mm, yeah. And so let me just give you like it's a silly it's a silly approach perhaps, and it seems something small. Um, but when you think of like the stereo, one of the stereotypical scenarios on parenting is like eat your vegetables. Like eat your vegetables and like eat your eat your vegetables is is like this theme that like evolves over time. Like, you know, do your homework before you go to college class. I mean, like it evolves over time, but it all comes down to eat your vegetables. And there are times when we as parents are uniquely postured to create structure that facilitates that. Um, but what I, I don't want to do is I don't want to get into an arm wrestling match and eat your vegetables. I mean, I think if you talk to almost any adult, there's some scenario where eat your vegetables went sideways. Like I heard somebody <laughs> one time, they were trying to like not eat their Brussels sprouts. And, and so they pretended to eat the Brussels sprouts because their parents said, you know, stay at the dinner table to eat your Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and they put the Brussels sprout in their mouth and then they would pick up their glass of milk and they would spit their Brussels sprout into the milk <laughs> because you couldn't see into the milk. You could do that with milk, not with water. <laughs> right, right, right. And so like, I love this analogy. Like it's almost like a water balloon. Like the tighter you squeeze, the more... It, squishes out between your fingers and so if you go you will not leave this table until you eat your vegetables game on like you've created a game for a kid that is like uh, it's all about teaching them uh not tenacity but defiance 
right? You're teaching your child def- defiance and, and yes, I will. No, I won't. Like, blah. It's like, that's the, not come on. So early on, I developed this methodology in my household. We call it Rose. And so early on, I would get my child's plate and I knew the things that he liked and what he didn't like. And I would make a row across the bottom of his plate, a row across the middle of the plate, and a row across the top of the plate. And say he liked a component, I would put more of that, but I would, I would spread that across all three rows. But I would put like three bites of chicken, because he doesn't mind chicken too much, three bites of green beans, because he actually likes green beans for whatever reason. And then one teeny tiny bite, the other day I did this with a mushroom. We were having shish kebabs and he didn't like mushrooms. And I put one teeny tiny bite of mushroom on his plate. Now I wasn't using rose because he's eight years old now, but that would be an example. You put a teeny tiny bite of mushroom on, the, on, the, on that row. And then the next row up, three more bites of chicken, big old bites, enticing bites. Three more bites of green beans, like yummy green beans. And then like another little teeny tiny bite, like the smallest bite you could think of, of mushroom. And then a third row. And then I put the plate in front of him and said, here's the deal. If you just, you can eat anything you want on the bottom row. And when you don't want to eat anymore, you can get up from the table and we're done. But if you want what's on the second row, you cannot eat what's on the second row. You can't eat anything on the second row till you finish everything on the first row. <laughs> That's good. Right? And so it, right. So then he would, he would, he would get all the yummy stuff that he liked. Like he would eat his chicken and he would eat his green beans and he'd stare at that little mushroom. But then he's looking at the chicken on the next row and the green beans on the next row. And he's like, <laughs> If I can just suck down that mushroom, I can get to the chicken and the green beans. And, it, and, if, and if I felt there was particular resistance, I can even go get like, um, we call them snack fruits, fruit snacks or whatever they are. You can go get like a little treat and put it on the second row. And he's staring at that second row where that little treat is, like a little skittle. It doesn't really matter what it is, but he cannot access it until you get to the, ne- to the, you get to the next row. And so then he would go. All right. And then he would eat the small bite of mushroom and then he would immediately go to the next row and start eating the next row. And then he'd go to the next row. Now, this will not work for every child because if you have a child that is defiant and will just reach up to the second and third row and just take things away, well, then you have to have one plate and two plates and three plates and they have to be out of their range of reach. Right. But there's different ways that you do this. Like you can have the second plate and they point at the, and they point at the skittles on the second plate and you go, you can have the second plate. You have to finish the first plate. And as they look longingly at the second plate, you add another Skittle and another Skittle and another Skittle. And they're like, I want that. And you're like, all you have to do is this. So anyway, by putting the food in rows, I avoided the confrontation. Right? I don't, I'm not going to have a confrontation. I decided in advance the trade space that I was willing to let them in. And then I incrementally uh, advanced the, the behavior that I wanted, like eating mushrooms. And then I also would talk to him. Like he was like, Daddy, I don't like mushrooms. And I would say, yes. But scientists have shown that if you eat a certain, any, any type of food multiple times, you'll eventually develop a taste for it. And he's like, well, I don't feel it now. I go, that's right, because you're early on in that, in that number of, of bites. So we would partner, and he's looking at this plate, and so now it, it, it's not, it's, I'm not going to wrestle with him. I'm the adult in the room. I create the structure. But then I create a structure that he feels he can navigate to his own good, and he's eating his vegetables. And then I just have to share this one last story. It actually evolved and I was amazed, but this is my own son's personality. Like I might put like a fruit snack or a Skittle on each row. Like say I did something, something he liked, it didn't really matter what it was. I noticed that he would eat the bottom row except for the Skittle and he would take it off his plate and put it to the right. And then he would eat the second row, take his Skittle, put it off the plate to the right and eat the third row. And then he'd walk around the house with his Skittles the rest of the day. Like, so he developed his own like, delayed gratification, which was just amazing. There are study after study after study that showed delayed gratification 
is a significant thing that you can teach your kid to make a difference. But anyway, I think all of that was, I don't think strong arming is often useful. There might be, there might need to be a foundation underneath, which says you will obey me, right? And, and Evan and I once, sorry, I'm going a little bit long-winded here, but Evan and I once had this thing where he was determined that he was not going to do fill in the blank. I can't remember what it was. And I said, yes, you are. And he said, no, I'm not. And he was super young, like in diapers. And I took him up to his room and I said, no. And I wasn't mad and I didn't yell. And he wanted to get outside the door and I sat in front of the door and he, he screamed and yelled and his grandparents were over and they were like, man, is he torturing them? But I did establish early on when daddy says no, I mean, no, Yeah. but you have to be careful if you have to, if you use no too often, man, you got to be ready to back it. And yeah. You got to ask yourself, did I really, did I really mean no on that? Or was it a knee jerk? No. So mm. I try to minimize my nose and I try to create the structure that creates collaboration, not defiance. And so I think that's kind of a, a structure that kind yeah. of gives you the underpinning of, of the way I approach things. Yeah, man, that is fantastic. That's, it's funny. It's kind of like parenting meets behavioral economics or something. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a, that's like an experiment you would do with college students or something. <laughs> See if you can get the kid to eat the second row. <laughs> that is genius. I think that's spot on. Uh, let, me, so let me share one other, you know, two other kind of things. I think that's exactly what it is. It's, it's an experiment on because each child is different. And so that was something I was maybe going to talk on later. But I think if we try to approach all our children the same way, we're setting ourselves up for failure in our child, but it's, it is, it's an, it's an economy of decisions and trust. It's like this, it's this economy of decisions and trust. And we went recently to my, my parents' house. And at one point someone gave Evan, and it's eight years old, they gave him a pocket knife. This pocket knife was my grandfather's pocket knife. And he probably had a long time. There's a good chance that this pocket knife is over a hundred years old. And Evan has it, and he and he wanted to carry it around. Uh, and again, this is where you have to team with your spouse. And Lindsay was like, "I'm concerned he's going to lose it." And I'm like, "What uh, opportunity for sorrow he could have if he does?" And I said, "Evan, this is your hundred-year-old knife." And I and I would I advised him all the time. We're getting ready to to go somewhere, and he has the knife in his pocket, and we're in the car. We're getting ready to get out of the car. I said, Evan, do you want to give me your knife so I can put it up here in the dash in, in the front? Yes, Daddy, thank you. Because I, I, if I lose it at putt-putt golf, I'll never find it. Mm. If I lose it in the house, I'll eventually find it. And so he, he carried around this 100-year-old knife for, I don't know, months. And then he came to me and said, Daddy, several times he lost it and we found it together in the house. And then one day he said, Daddy, I've lost my knife. And we lost it for three months. We couldn't find it. Could not find it anywhere. And he's like, Daddy, I lost it. And I go, yeah, I understand. And, and, and so he's learning, right? He, I will give up that knife for that lesson in a heartbeat. Well, it turns out I'm mowing the lawn the other day and I find the knife in the yard. And I'm ecstatic and I bring it in. Now, interestingly, it's been in the yard for three months. Now it has rust all over it. This 100-year-old knife now has rust on it. And he's like a big buff on the street. And so he's like, Daddy, it's rusted. I said, yes, it is. And he goes, can we fix it? I said, I don't know, son. I said, let's go look. Let's go look online. So we look online together and and I help him look it up. And then it takes me a couple of weeks to kind of get around to fix it, helping him fix it. And even we fixed it last night, soaked it in vinegar. And then I gave him a toothbrush and he scrubbed it off and I had him scrub it. And then even after he got done, I spent probably another hour on it 
and he and while we were watching TV, and he's like, Daddy, thank you for helping me get this knife clean. And I said, You're welcome, son. But I made sure that he was involved. He he looked up how to figure it out. He did the scrubbing at first. I just did a little final polish on it. But looking for every opportunity, a thing is a thing, but a mindset that you can instill or that you can enable God to instill with your cooperation, as long as you're not like a an overbearing parent. Like if you'll work with God, you can team to give your children opportunities in the in, in the decision space economy of life. You know what I mean? Totally. Man, I, I just, I love that approach. And this is so useful for me because I, in particular, tend to be, you know, toward, towards our kids. Like, I know what you need to do and you're going to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to put my foot down, you know, and like, this is best for you. And just this attitude of like, well, kids don't know what they need. And so I need to tell them what they need. And and then, you know, later they'll figure out that I was right. I mean, it's so, there's so much hubris in that. I mean, obviously, you know, parents need to have authority and all that, but I just love your perspective on how you're, you're raising Evan to become a responsible adult, not just a kid who has things kind of taken care of for him. Of course, we want our kids to succeed as kids, but there's so much to be learned when we give them that leeway to where they maybe don't make the best decisions or maybe they maybe they fail. And I, I was just thinking, I, I was taking some notes as you were talking about um, just how you approach Evan. Uh, it strikes me that you know, you, you give your kids agency, you give them that like dignity of making their own choice and like how much value that speaks to them as opposed to just being told what to do. And then you give them confidence in their decisions. And if it works out like, Hey, that worked out. And I wasn't just told what to do. I, I actually decided myself with parameters, of course, but in think of the confidence that that gives your kids. And then also it, it helps them see the consequences of their actions. And, you know, I think I've got this false mindset as a parent that like I used to <laughs> used to have this framework where I was like, you know what, as my kids grow up, I'm just going to build this body of content as much as I can think of about how to navigate the world. And I'm going to tell them and I'm going to train them and then I'm going to make sure they know it and then they'll be successful. And it's like, you know, as I've gr- grown, hopefully as a parent, I'm like, no, that's not the way parenting works. It is not, of course, we need to teach them the truth. Like that's our responsibility, but we also have to allow them to experience the truth. And, and when I say the truth in this sense, I mean, you know, just consequences of, of their actions. And what I love about your story is you didn't, it's not like every night you came to Evan and was like, Hey, I need that pocket knife because you might lose it tomorrow. And every time he came back in from the house, Hey, uh, where's your pocket knife? Oh, you lost your pocket knife. Well, it must be outside. And you didn't do that. What you did was gave him leeway. And then, Hey, he faced a consequence. But then later had to, you know, he knew it's not like Evan blamed you or anything. He knew he had left it out in the yard. And so he got the experience of cleaning it and just, man, like there is no amount of talking that can give him that same experience. You know, I mean, that's what I love about that is you guys are giving him that real world experience. So, man, this is just super useful for me. I know we've talked about this so much, but it's all coming to light now. It's awesome. But let me circle also back on, on the, you know, the, the experience and coming alongside and wisdom and just this library of knowledge. All this wisdom on a piece of paper in the corner that your child doesn't want to reference is useless. And even worse, though, if you take your child and jam their face in this book with this, I'm going to 
make you do this, then, then it's even worse. Like they push away from that because they're trying to define themselves uh, as their own entity. And I think God enables us to, he, he says, here is wisdom. I'm always here for you. I always love you. And at the same time, he makes it, he, he enables us to make mistakes that way we seek him. And so I want to share this quick story as an ROTC instructor, you have your freshman year, which is essentially wearing your uniform correctly, learning to stand up straight and some, some basic, you know, can you follow directions? Sophomore year creates a lot more self-awareness, awareness of your talents and abilities and others, and some storming, forming, norming, and techniques and stuff that happen. But then we send them to field training, and field training is this uh, uh, hands-on leadership exercise that start the you know, morning revelry at like 4.30 in the morning, and you, you know, get out of your bed and all this other kind of stuff. And then they come back, and in this junior year, that's where we taught them leadership and ethics. And I remember a student that said, Sir, we're learning about all this leadership and ethics stuff, this leadership stuff, but we didn't know before we went to field training and field training is a major graded event. I said, that's correct. And they were like, why didn't you try to teach us earlier this content? And this is back when cell phones were pretty new, you know, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I said, how many of you have a cell phone? Hands shot up across the room. And I was like, how many of you have read your cell phone manual front to back? And they all put their hands down. And I was like, how many of you have actually read at least one or two chapters in your cell phone. And one or two people raised their hand. I said, why did you read those chapters? Because something went wrong and I needed to fix it, right? And so I said, now that you've gone to field training and you made a complete chaotic mess of leadership, you are now sitting in my class, hanging on my every word of uh, how do I be a better, how do I, how do I become a better leader? And I think that's what God does. God lets us utterly brutalize our lives and so we turn and we want to sit at his feet and go lord please help me understand yeah. your wisdom here right right and so when we when when we create this economy of you almost have to get into debt to realize you never want to get into debt again you, if you look at the movie brewster's million where he had his son forced his son to smoke a bunch of cigars so his son never wanted a cigar again like that was a little bit brutal but it's this concept of how can we just let life's lessons naturally turn our children to us, that they would actually want to come to us. And us, as a reflection of God, how would they want to come to God? Um, and so, yeah, leveraging those opportunities. And the, the unique thing as a parent is we now have, we have the wisdom and the judgment to say, which one's more important, a hundred-year-old knife or caution and responsibility throughout the rest of his life? And I'll take caution and responsibility over a hundred-year knife any day. Amen. Wow. That's so good. Thank you. I, I love those stories and just what they illustrate about our parenting. I love what you said about, you know, not setting up an adversarial relationship with your kids. I never thought of that. And I think I do that sometimes unwittingly. And uh, man, that's just, that's just super useful, Don. As we start to close, I'm curious if there are some passages of scripture that you and Lindsay find particularly powerful and have guided your parenting. I guess the scripture that jumps to mind is the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Mm. And I don't know what victory looks like. That's between God and Evan. I know that for me, what victory looks like is uh, Evan becoming a God-loving, God-fearing uh, husband and father, ideally one day to pass on what, his, his, what he's learned to the next generation. We can't handle, we can't control, you can't control out victory. There's not enough controls you can put in place. You can't squeeze it hard enough to, you know, to, to get it where you want it. To, but you can prepare. And what I think preparation looks like is not do what I say, because I'm always going to be by your side here to tell you what to do. 
but learn yourself, Evan. Learn where to get wisdom and how to get wisdom. And to know for you, Evan, that the horse is prepared for the day of battle. You, know, you are going to go into battle, Evan, and you don't even have to worry about what victory looks like because victory rests with the Lord. And so that's the one that just comes to me over and over again in my own life, and therefore it probably uh, shapes how I raise Evan. Mm, that's excellent. Last question here. If there's one thing that you could leave parents with, uh, you know, sort of a call to action, what would it be? I think it would be if you find yourself frustrating your child or becoming frustrated yourself, you've got to tap out, tag out, get self-aware, get breathing exercises, whatever you've got to do. And if you're like, well, I'm just, I have so much going on. Well, then you need to reduce what you have going on in your life. And, you know, we, we have lots of people that we know to include our neighbors across the street, which, which have you know, several kids and seem to do lots of things. We're like, man, we just, we just, we can't do that and focus on the way we want. So you've got to find your own balance for your own life and your own abilities and to not look at what everyone else is doing, but you can also garner wisdom. And so I love this podcast and we do sit around talking with others and we just, we try, I try not to become frustrated. If, if I'm frustrated, that's my fault. Mm. And if my son is frustrated, then, then I'm not engaging in a way that's optimally productive. Mm. So minimizing frustration for my son, minimizing frustration for myself, knowing that I'm the adult in the room and it's my job to create structures and scenarios that enable him to maximize his growth to become a child of God. Mm. That's an awesome place to leave it. Beautiful. Thanks so much, man. That is excellent. So appreciate all that you've shared with us today. I know this is going to be a blessing to a lot of people and uh, definitely a blessing to me. So thank you so much. You're very welcome, Graham. Thanks for having me here. Don, wow, man. Thanks so much for that wisdom. I love the stories and the principles you've shared. So many great things for us to consider as we walk through this parenting journey. It is such a gift to have you as a friend and brother in Christ and just to be in community with your family. All right, parents, give it some thought. Rather than just tell our kids what to do and what to think, let's help them learn how to make decisions so they can grow into the healthy, mature adults we want them to be and that God wants them to be. Oh, and one last thing before we go, a couple of song recommendations. I'm going to start adding this to the end of episodes because I just can't help myself. I have rather stumbled on a fantastic album from a new Christian artist named Ann Wilson. You have got to check out her album called My Jesus. It is an awesome album, but in particular, check out the songs Scatter and My Jesus right at the front of the album. And trust me, you will be blessed. And it's a great opportunity to jam out to them with your kids. All right, enough out of me. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.